Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, good morning again. Today we are beginning a new series entitled Christmas Symbols. I... uh, had this idea actually about a year ago when I was thinking about the various things that we see all around us. Uh, and, I, and I'll tell you, it, it really started because I got a little uh, burr up my sleeve or what a saddle, whatever it is. Uh, listening to some of the people on social media like TikTok and stuff trying to denigrate and talk down about the symbols and the things that we use to help us celebrate this Advent and this Christmas season as a way to try to disprove uh, what church and Christianity and all this is all about. And it kind of rankled me a little bit. Not quite as much as, you know, I guess we got to address the elephant in the room, not quite as much as football games not going the way that I wanted it to go. But that's all I'm going to say about it. I expected to hear it. Very good, very good. Uh, Roll tight. Anyway, uh, (laughs) I'm just sort of playing. Anyway, uh, but I I got kind of wrinkled about it because of one of the things that is so predominantly true about how the message of Christ and Christianity spread throughout the world. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He lived and was brought up in Nazareth and did his earthly ministry in in and around Jerusalem. Jesus was born of Jewish descent. Jesus wasn't just born of Jewish descent. Jesus was faithful to his Jewish culture and his Jewish religion. But part of what it was that Jesus was trying to convey, and it happened from his birth story, and it is still continuing today, is that he came for all the world, not just those who were born and raised in the Jewish tradition. And so as the message of Christ really post-resurrection the began to spread and the disciples went out into Europe and to other areas in Asia and Africa, what they did was that they took the message of Christ into areas where people did not yet know Christ and they showed how God is present and preeminently powerful over all things. And one of the ways that they did this was by taking things that might have been common or known to certain people And they showed how it all pointed to Jesus. A few weeks ago, I referenced Acts chapter 17, where Paul is in Greece. And he is walking through an area where they have all of these known idols to different gods and what they believe to be divine powers. And there was one idol to the unknown God. And the example that we see from Scripture that fuels, forms, informs, and transforms the way that we look at Jesus is exactly how this played out. Paul took that idol that they had to the unknown God and used it to point people to Jesus. The symbols that we use to celebrate this time of year are all for the same purpose. Object lessons, imagery, imagery, 
messages, stories, they all point to the person, the presence, the power, and yes, the preeminence of Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, laid in a cattle stall, fled into Egypt, came back, was born and raised in Nazareth, lived his public ministry, was betrayed, crucified, laid in a tomb, and that tomb today remains empty. And so what we're going to be doing this month is we're going to look at the symbols that we celebrate and we associate with our Advent and our Christmas season, and we're going to point to the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited about it. Can you tell? Just a little. I'm excited. But I want us to make sure that we understand one thing very importantly here, just kind of a delineation, if you will. We talk about the Advent and the Christmas seasons. It's not the same thing. Advent is a season of preparation, four Sundays leading up to Christmas, where we look at those themes that we talked about earlier with hope, where we look at those themes to help us prepare our hearts and our minds and our lives for the glory of Christmas. Now, this is kind of similar to Lent that is celebrated in the spring in preparation for Easter. But with Lent, that's really a lot of internal dealing with our sin, dealing with our mortality, dealing with our problems. Advent is more like we're cleaning up our house and we're setting up the decorations, and we're getting the menu ready and just right. That's this anticipation for a big visitor, a big someone who's going to come and make the visit and the celebration all worthwhile. The word Advent that we have comes from the Latin Adventus, which means the anticipation of a big arrival, a special guest, a guest of honor, someone who's Dignified and someone whose arrival requires us to prepare differently. And that's what we do. We dress differently. We eat different foods. We decorate our house differently. Everything is different at this time of year. That's the idea and the aspect of Advent. We know Advent maybe a little more commonly thanks to some of those windowed chocolate uh, Advent calendars. I always love those. As I shared in my daily writing this morning, my birthday is on the 9th. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm only teasing, sort of. Anyway, and so we would always make sure that I got to open the chocolate window on the 9th, and then my brother and sister could open up whatever days, and they alternated those, but I always got to open up on the 9th. It was something we looked forward to. We looked forward to those calendars to help us count down to Christmas. That's the whole idea about Christmas. It's, just, it's preparing ourselves for a momentous visit and an arrival. Before we started the service this morning, Emmanuel Fonji asked me if I would lift a prayer and, and ask the church to pray for him as well because on Wednesday, he's leaving for Cameroon to be part of the distribution of the toys that we've collected for Christmas for Cameroon. And so I pray that over in Cameroon, they're getting ready to welcome in a, a distinguished visitor, someone named Emmanuel, which we know from Scripture means God with us. Friends, that's what it's all about, is we're preparing our hearts and our minds and our lives joyfully, but also intentionally for the glory of Easter, uh, Christmas, sorry. <laughs> Jumping ahead, that's right, that's right. And we're going to look at Christmas symbols. 
first symbol that we're looking at this week is the Christmas wreath. The Christmas wreath. So perfectly tied into the celebration of our Advent wreath. And there are three things that I want us to point out about the wreath that hopefully will enable us and empower us uh, to think about the wreath differently, whether it's on a table aligned with candles or it's sitting on the front door of your house or something like that. When you see a wreath, what shape is it? This isn't a trick question. It's circle. It's a round. It is, a ra- it is round, which indicates that there is no beginning or no end. A wreath is round to indicate there is no beginning or no end. It also is to evoke imagery of the crown of thorns that Jesus wore on the cross at his execution. Did you know about that? Did you know the wreath came around to evoke imagery of the crown of thorns? And it is evergreen as a symbol of Christ's triumph over death. Now, you can look and see all kinds of historical ideas about how wreaths came to be, but when you look at it from a Christian perspective, you see that the wreath teaches and tells us about God. It's round. There's no beginning. There is no end. It reminds us of the crown of thorns that Christ wore as he was ridiculed and mocked as the king of kings until he was risen from the grave and he proved his power even over death and the grave. That is why it is evergreen. So the Christmas wreath that we use at Advent to help us direct our lives and our attention to and through the various themes today we looked at hope reminds us that it is round as though there's no beginning or no end. It's to evoke imagery of the crown of thorns that Christ wore on the cross and it is evergreen to prove that he lives still today. So let's look at this really quickly. I want us to consider how there is no beginning or end in Jesus. No beginning or end in Jesus. One of the things that always kind of perplexed me early on in my ministry about the first Sunday of Advent was that it deals with kind of apocalyptic imagery. And that's not necessarily what I want to think about when we're setting up Christmas trees and laying out stars and wreaths and candy canes and things of the sort. But this is the whole point about Advent. We get so fixated on Advent preparing us for Christmas that we miss out on the key critical component and point that we cannot overlook is that Advent is also to remind us that Christ came and you know what he did? He promised to come again. And that's why we looked at the hope of promise as we read our Bible passage when we lit the Advent wreath because it's talking about the promise that God would come but the promise that God will come again. again, And that's why we can say with absolute certainty that there is no beginning or end in Jesus. Even though Jesus was born and laid in a feeding trough, he was executed on a cross and laid in a grave where he is not there anymore. We know that there is no beginning or end in Jesus. So let's skip to the end of the book and read about the passage, shall we? From Revelation chapter 22, verse 7, and then skipping to verses 12 and 13. Jesus said, look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. 
the beginning, and the end. Those are the words of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, and I get to that point that says, I am coming soon and bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds, I feel almost like a hyena who hears the word Mufasa. Ooh. Say it again. Mufasa. Ooh. Okay. I'm skipping genres, but you get the point, right? According to their deeds. Now, the scripture is pretty clear. There is nothing, and I mean zip, zilch, nada, nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Nothing. We don't like that. We want to think in terms of this merit-based system where I can achieve a little or acquire a little, just a little bit more, be a little bit better in order to earn my salvation. What happens when we do that, though? We slip into patterns of competing or comparing. We are competing with other people and comparing ourselves to someone else. And the reality is that we're always going to find someone better off, and we're always going to find someone a little worse off. And so what we end up thinking is that, wow, as long as I could just be better than somebody else, that's what I refer to as Tom Thumb Theology, right? You stick in your thumb, pull out a plumb, and say, hey, what a good boy am I? That is not salvation. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One sin, one simple infraction negates God's entire law. And therefore, none of us can earn our perfection or our salvation in Christ. Rather, it's a gift, isn't it? Please say yes. It's a gift. God gives us salvation as a free gift to all those who believe. And then, when we begin to think about the deeds that we did or we didn't do, good, bad, and indifferent on both sides of that, right? We think about these deeds, what we know in our heart of hearts is a promise and the purpose of the Christ child is that all that is required for us to receive salvation is to accept Jesus is Lord and Savior of our lives. Believing that he is the Son of God who lived, died, and was resurrected and confess our sinfulness and need of a Savior. Those are the ABCs of salvation. Accept Jesus, believe he is God's one and only Son and confess your need for a Savior. That is the deed that grants you the power of salvation and eternal life. Where we experience no beginning or no end. We evoked the imagery of Christ on the cross wearing the crown of thorns and the green evergreen that shows he lives forever. That's all that is required. Every single one of us has sin in our lives. And what's so insidious about the way that the enemy works is we oftentimes don't even know all the sin that we have or that we've committed. Isn't that kind of a frightening thought? We don't know the problems that we've done how we've been ignorant or how we've been oblivious to needs in the world. And therefore, we receive in faith God's offer of salvation and we commit to get it right. But I got some good news for you. That your salvation, once you've accepted, believed, and confessed, your salvation is everlasting. It is eternal. Consider the verse from Psalm chapter 103, verse 12. 
God has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. I love that. Because if you look at a globe, if you start at the North Pole and you go south, you're eventually going to hit what? Say the South Pole. The South Pole, that's exactly right. And if you go from that and you go back up to the North Pole, you're eventually going to hit what? The North Pole. And so when you go north to south, north to south, north to south, you're constantly going to be changing directions. But if you look at a globe and you start going east to west, at no point do you cease going one direction or another. That's the way God's forgiveness and salvation is for us. God's promise is he forgets our sins and removes them from us as far as the east is from the west. That doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but what it does mean is we're to strive to be better, to do better, all because of who God and Christ is in us. He has removed your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. When you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you believe that he is God's one and only son who died, he was risen from the grave, and you confess your sin and your need for a Savior, God removes your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. There's nothing quite like those history lessons from hell that we get, particularly by people who knew us before we were in Christ. Oh, yeah, you're talking all this Jesus stuff, but I knew you back when. It doesn't matter how long ago that was. It still happens to us. But this verse about removing our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, my friends, is one of those things that can and will change your life when you know that you are that new creation, as we referenced during the baptism. When you accept Christ. God removes your sin from you as far as the east is from the west, and you are made a brand new creation in Jesus Christ. No longer needing to be worried about that old, worn-out, burned-out way of living, but you live forward-facing into the eternal promise that God has for you. Now, that eternal promise is something that we still have to wait for, doesn't it? Or isn't it? And there are all kinds of times when we experience life in ways that doesn't agree or comport with our preferences. You turn on the news. You experience crises with your family members. You, you go to the doctor and you get a bad diagnosis. You get all these things that can be an upheaval in our lives. And so what the scripture tells us is that we are called to wait with hope for that time when Christ comes. To wait with hope. Romans chapter 8 verses 24 and 25 reads, We were given this hope when we were saved. That's that hope that says God's way wins in the end. We were given that hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it, right? But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently. And what? Confidently. That, my friends, as we bring this message to a close, is exactly how we are called to spend these next few weeks and the rest of our lives. As we wait with hope for the time when Christ will return and set everything right. When he will make sense of all of the junk and the gunk that we have to put up in the meantime. And he will help us to find that eternal perspective that can help us to make sense of the strife that we face today as we wait patiently but also confidently because Jesus is exactly who he said he is. And he is here with us today. He is the one in whom there is no beginning and no end. He is the one who went to the cross wearing the crown of thorns 
to evoke that memory that it was his death that allows for our salvation. And the wreath is evergreen, which tells us he lives and lives forever. That's the promise for you and me and for all of us. And so may we wait with hope, patiently, doing what we need to do until he comes again, and confidently with the boldness of God on our side, knowing that even in those times we've made mistakes, we're going to make mistakes in the future. God removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And in the power of Christ, we know that he will repay us for all of our deeds. Imagine how awesome it's going to be when you see this ledger full of red with all the problems and with all the doubts and all the mistakes and all the things you didn't even know you did or didn't do. And Jesus looks at you and he stamps paid in full and says, welcome home, my good and faithful servant. Until that time, wait patiently, confidently. Wait in hope, security, and know that if God is for us, who can be against us? Because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. As the band comes forward, let me pray us, pray for us, and then we'll get ready for next week. We're going to talk about the Christmas tree. Almighty God, I give you thanks for today, and I thank you for these symbols that help us to know that you are here, personally present with us. You are powerful, powerful enough to not just remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, but also to forget about them, which is so hard for us to do. We go back to that verse in Hebrews that says it's impossible for you to lie, so we wait patiently and confidently in the hope that you have forgotten all of those things that we've done and marked our ledger paid in full. And so with an everlasting hope, we come to you this morning, accepting you as you've claimed us and accepting your Son and our Savior Jesus, this one who was born and lived and died and lives again. We believe we confess, and we dedicate our lives to living for you. So, Lord, as we go through this month together, journeying through these symbols, I pray that we remember there is no beginning or end in you, that our salvation is secured and eternal, and we can wait with hope until we find ourselves united with you and forever. We ask this in the holy, helping, healing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.